0: You bow with me for prayer. Lord, we assemble here after weeks, a week of activities, of work, and of pleasure. We come into this place to lift our voices, to honor you, to commune with you. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to put aside all the other clutter that may be in our minds we can focus on you and that we might spend this time devoted wholly to you, both to offer our worship but also to listen to you as you speak to us. In your holy name I pray. Amen. seated. Our first scripture lesson today is from the Psalter, Psalm 25, the first 10 verses, of this psalm. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, and you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me for your good. O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Here ends our first lesson of scripture.
1: Gospel reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, reading verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? Uh, What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord.
0: be seated. Good morning. How are you all today? You know, we're getting close to, or we are in a special season now for the next two weeks, especially. You know what that is? Thanksgiving. What? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, did you see the table here that Mr. Chris had fixed for us? Walk around. Well, let's just uh, look at it, Jack. <laughs> Walk around front and then come back and tell me what you see there. Okay. Then come back and you can use this and tell us what you see. What all is on there? It's a
2: cornucopia, some flowers and fruit and vegetables. Well, tell them
0: too. They want to know what all's up. They can't. They can't see it from way there in the back.
2: Um, there's a cornucopia filled with flowers, fruit, and vegetables.
0: Okay, so, yeah. all kind of things. Things that. Hmm? Well, they the question that I just asked was, are they fake? No. No, they're real. Mr. Chris does our the communion table for us each week with flowers or with a cornucopia. And uh, Martine, you're going to get your hand stuck, I think, on the pineapple. Be careful, please. Come back over this way a minute. So we're talking about Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a way that we certainly will give thanks to God for what all we've received. But, you know, there are other times that we receive things that are really, really helpful to us that, that we may not um, think about that often. Dr. Roxborough just read a story or a parable of a person um, that was hurt by someone else. He was robbed. And he was left, really, to die. And several people came along to help him. And you know the story, don't you, Mark, uh, Millicent? What that story is, the story of the good Samaritan. Samaritan. That's right. Now, think about mm-hmm. it for just a moment. If if you got hurt, if something happened to you, who do you think would help you? I don't
2: know.
0: Well, do you have friends?
2: Someone.
0: Who, if you are really hurting, who do you call out for first? 9-1-1. Okay, that's good. 911 is good. But personally, who would you ask for at home? You, you'd call out for your parents, right? Now, if they aren't available, who would? Okay, 911's always good. We're gonna, that's, that's already said and done, okay? Now, beyond that, who are, you gonna, who are you gonna ask for help? Friends. You hope friends. We call 911, takes care of all that, Jack. But you call your, your family, your friends, but what if none of them are around? Who's gonna help you?
2: Whoever's closest.
0: <laughs> you hope whoever's closest, right? A yeah, neighbor? neighbor? All right. So what would you think if you were lying down hurt? Like okay. Aunt, what would Okay. What would we do <laughs> if we were thinking about if if you didn't have family or friends close by or you were hurt and you were calling out to someone and people kept coming by walking by. And they looked at you like Oh, isn't that sad? Or maybe they get a, go to the other side to get away from you. What would you think? What?
2: I'm not loved.
0: You're not loved. That you don't amount, you, you don't matter to someone, right? Now, what Jesus was trying or did teach, the one who was listening to him and all those who were around gathered was that they the we should all. We should all be aware that we can help someone. We can be a neighbor to everyone. We can do something that will help them. And in the case of this person that's really, really hurt, even if we don't like them, there's maybe somebody in your class at school that you really just don't get along with. Is that right? Mm -hmm. There is? Okay. Would you expect them to help you? Or what if they were hurt? Would you run to help them? Yes. Would they come to help you?
2: Yes.
0: Okay. Well, those are good friends. Those are neighbors. But sometimes that people don't do that just because they don't like you.
2: They don't like you. They don't like the way you look.
0: That's right. They don't like maybe where you come from. They don't like that you're different. All those things. But the good Samaritan saw that all of those things didn't matter. What really mattered? That someone was hurting and they needed a friend to help them. Now, we have here a first aid kit that we use here. And if Mr. Paul hasn't depleted all of our band-aids, which he may have, we've got these that we we use to help. It's a lot of of band-aids, right? So I want you to think: take this with you, put it in your pocket, or take it with you. Well, if it'll help you remember the story of the Good Samaritan and then what Dr. Roxborough says is when he's preaching, then you put it on your hand and let it be a reminder. Because the Good Samaritan did what people didn't expect him to do. He helped someone that he shouldn't have helped, really, as far as the, the people in the... He should have helped, but he wasn't expected to because of the way things were. The same way that you might not be expected to help someone, or you might, your friends might say, why did you help him? Why were you a friend to him? Why were you a neighbor? Because they needed someone okay so always let's remember that we can help others just like Jesus said when he asked the the um, man uh, about who had shown who had been a neighbor what did he say he said the one the one who had the shown way. mercy yeah. but
2: I mean the one who was kind to
0: him and helped him and, and gave him the bandages he needed mm-hmm. and made him gave him a place to stay, all those things. He was the good Samaritan. So remember that as, as that perfect image of what we are to do to those and to help and to be a good neighbor to those around us, okay? Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to be neighbors to people, and we know that we're always challenged with knowing exactly who that is, but you have clar- clarified it for us, that all who you have created who need your kindness and our kindness, your mercy and our mercy, and your grace are all our neighbors, and we are theirs. In your name, I pray. Amen. Did you get those. Did you get one.
1: Join me in prayer. God of grace, we come before you this morning not only with our thanks and praise, but also to bring our lives and the life of our world and of our country and community before you. For those who are searching, may they find that you are the light that shines into their lives. To those who are hungry, that you are the food that sustains. To a world that suffers, you are the hope of release. To a world that is broken, you're the one who restores. To a world of hate, you're the one who forgives. God of wholeness, God of grace, come to our lives and bring us healing and wholeness. You're the living water, bread of life, the one who offers deliverance. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, you suffered, died, rose, bringing hope into this world. Fill us with your hope this morning for the future. Living Lord in whose way of love lies the secret of all life and the hope of all people. We pray for quiet courage to match the hour in which we live. Let our common problems challenge us, injustices anger us, possibilities inspire us, and your vigor renew us. Lord, make each of us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. Remind us that it is in giving that we receive and in pardoning that we are pardoned and in dying that we are born to eternal life. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, the Christ who taught us to pray with confidence and to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Biblical literacy is not as high in the country as it once was, and yet I suspect if you were taking an opinion poll as to what were the best known, best loved stories that Jesus taught, then the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the good Samaritan would be way up there in the top ten. Most people know what the story is about. The story is set in the context of a discussion, a dialogue between Jesus and a lawyer, always a dangerous thing to do because you never know when the lawyer's going to present you with an invoice just for asking a question. The man appears to respect Jesus. It was normal for a student in the Middle East to stand and to ask a question, and here the man gives Jesus the title, teacher, rabbi, but behind his posture, Luke is writing this story. He's desirous to test Jesus, really to trip him up. He asks what you must do to inherit eternal life. Now, a contemporary of Jesus, Rabbi Hillel, had said that a person who has gained for himself the words of Torah has gained for himself the life of the world to come. And the man is probably hoping, maybe that Jesus won't affirm what that rabbi was saying. And so people would realize that Jesus wasn't an authentic rabbi himself. That's the test, is Jesus real? He's trying to trip Jesus into saying something, but Jesus turns the tables on him and asks him a question and says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The conversation continues with the the lawyer citing both the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Leviticus. Love God, love your neighbor. Interestingly, the citation from Deuteronomy to love God comes after chronologically the book of Leviticus, but he gets the order right really, because you have gotta love God first before you really will know what it is to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus affirms that what he has said is true. That's the way you're to live your life. He's got the right theology, Jesus seems to be saying, but are you actually living it out? Jesus has been asked about eternal life, but he widens the concept. He talks about daily living, not just what's going to happen in the eternal future. The verb to do is a present imperative in Greek. You didn't know you were going to get a grammar lesson this morning. That's the only bit I'm going to say, okay? Jesus is talking not about a once and for all act of piety. He's talking about what is it that's going to characterize your life? How are you going to live? You've got to keep on doing this. Unlimited love for God an unlimited love for others. I suspect at this point the, ra- the lawyer is wishing he had probably stayed in court that day and not ventured out to try to trip Jesus up. And so he blurts out a further question to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Carol Bart comments on this uh, passage and suggests, the lawyer does not know that only by mercy can he live and inherit eternal life. He does not want to live by mercy. He does not even know what it is he actually lives by something quite different than mercy by his own intention and ability to present himself as righteous before god jesus then tells a story that undermines all the presuppositions of this lawyer about who his neighbor is even in the hebrew bible in leviticus 19 I know that passage is on the tip of your tongue every day, but there the neighbor is identified in a rather limited way, speaking about the sons of your own people. We're a bit like that if we're honest, We, we give attention to the sons of our own people. We give attention to those people who are part of our family, our community, our friendship groups, our work situation, the kind of people we like to be identified with. We do the same. We we like our neighborhood to be, our neighbors in our subdivision to be a bit like us. That's why we choose to live in particular locations. But Jesus is going to turn the tables and say, a neighbor is people who need us. The action of this parable is very familiar to us, I know. It's one of the dangers of choosing a very familiar passage of scripture to deliver a homily on because you think, well, what new, what new thing can the pastor say uh, this morning about it? Well, let's see what we can do. The first three people who are introduced into this scene are full of action. Robbers, whom we never actually see, the priest and the Levite, each of them comes, does something and then leaves. The pattern is broken, however, by the Samaritan who comes and doesn't leave. The Levite could at least have administered first aid. The priest was riding, could have given the man a lift in his donkey. The robbers took his money, whereas the Samaritan gives him a ride, pays the money, leaves him provided with a promise that if there's any more expense involved in caring for the man, then he'll settle it up when he comes back. The context of the story is fascinating, I think. 17-mile journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road is notoriously dangerous, Jerusalem 2300 feet above sea level and then the Dead Sea near where Jericho was to be found is 1300 feet below sea level. So in a 17 mile journey you are going dropping 3600 feet, it's a road that's narrow, lots of twists and turns and rocky places for people to hide. Kind of reminds me of the westerns I used to like when I was a child, you know? And the stagecoach is coming and and you know when a stagecoach is coming through a narrow part of the gorge, that's where they're going to be attacked. Well, that happens here on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho on a regular basis. In the fifth century, Jerome, the church father, called it the Red Blood Way. In the 19th century, it was essential to pay safety money to the local sheiks before you would ever travel on it. When Jesus told the story, people would pick up their ears and say to themselves, I would never go on that journey unless I was in a group. The assumption is that the man is a Jew who gets himself into trouble, although it's never stated. But he's, bitten, he's uh, beaten, he's stripped, and he's left half dead. The priest comes along. Easy to be hard on these people. We've got to see ourselves and what we would do in what we read. He's probably riding. He comes from an upper level of society. In the Middle East, no one in any status of the community takes a 17 mile hike on walking. You take, if you can, have a donkey. If he didn't have a donkey or a means of support, it doesn't make sense to compare him to the Samaritan who does have a donkey. The priest sees the man but seems to veer away from him and doesn't stop and keeps on going. He's probably one of those groups of priests who is on a particular schedule in Jerusalem, probably for a couple of weeks, and then he's going back home to Jericho for a break, a rest. So he's tired, he's exhausted, and it's a long journey, and it's hot, and it's dusty, and he wants to get back to his family as soon as possible. So he decides to ride on by. The Levite contributes contributes to the man's suffering also by not helping him. One commentator said that the road was such that you could see a bit of it ahead of you, so he perhaps even saw the, the priest on his donkey, avoiding the man, and So when he comes near, perhaps he walks a little bit closer, but he doesn't actually do anything about it. The priest doesn't do it because probably if he touched the man, he would be defiled. And defilement was a big thing. It cost money. It took a week to get yourself purified, and you had to buy a red heifer, a kind of cow, in order to get rid of the defilement. So neither of them want to really get involved in touching the man If it's not essential. And then the Samaritans comes by. Samaria is the area north of Judea, a separate country during Jesus' day with a religion that's very similar to Judaism. In fact, it's a hybrid of Judaism. Uh, But there are differences between the Jews and the Samaritans, particularly virulent, toxic kind of dislike, hatred really, between the two. A bit like The kind of tribalism, racism, and religious divide that we get even today between Catholics and Protestants for centuries in Northern Ireland, between Sunni and Shia in Islam, between Israeli Jews and Palestinian settlers in the Holy Land, the man is despised the Samaritan, held in contempt by citizens of a country that don't view him as really part of God's promised people. The Mishnah had said, he who eats the bread of the Samaritans is like to one that eats the flesh of swine. Now that's hard talk. They're publicly cursed. It wouldn't have been so bad if the Jew had helped the Samaritan. But a Samaritan help a Jew after two religious leaders had passed him by. Hmm, something wrong there. He comes to aid the man with first aid. Cleaning the wound, binding up, and helping. He's doing the work of Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. Listen to Hosea 6 speaking about God's action towards a sinful nation of Israel. The one who binds up, revives, raises up and comes to the aid of Israel. Luke is probably thinking about verses like that. He's comparing the Samaritan to Yahweh and later on to Jesus. He uses oil and wine, standard first aid of the period. And the verb to pour, there is an extravagance of help being given by the man. It's also the language of worship, to pour your offerings before the Lord. Now Luke is very deliberate in the way he uses words and phrases to get across who this man is like. This man is like God. He's helping a person who probably if he was awake, would not have liked to be helped by him. And then he transports him to the local inn. I take it it was Hampton Inn. And he pays the bill and he tells the man at the desk, if there's any more expense, then we'll settle up when I come back. Maybe the man says, could you leave your credit card, please? And he does so. Self-giving love beyond the call of duty. It's compassion, it's mercy. Even the lawyer sees this and understands. Although it's interesting, when Jesus at the end of the story asked the lawyer, so who's the one that showed him compassion? The lawyer cannot get into his mouth the words the Samaritan. He says the one who helped him. Even at that stage, he hasn't fully understood what the story is all about. The Samaritan, we're told, had compassion. It's an expression that comes three times in Luke's gospel. On the other two occasions, it's always used to refer to God's saving agent, Jesus. Here's our first clue in this parable that the good Samaritan who shows compassion is really a prefigurement of Jesus who comes to seek and to save those who are lost and to bind us up and to give us forgiveness and grace and hope and healing. The story ends with Jesus admonishing the lawyer Go and do likewise yourself. There's very little said about the poor man who's been beaten up. He's almost an appendage in the whole story. Rather, Jesus' admonition to the lawyer demands the primary perspective to be that of the good Samaritan, whose example the lawyer is admonished to follow. In many ways, what Jesus is doing here is to see himself in the clothes of the compassionate Samaritan. The immediate context, if we were to read more of Luke 9 and 10, is that just a short time before this story, there's a story of James and John who had offered to Jesus to call down consuming fire from heaven against Samaritans. That's the context. And it's into that context that Jesus tells his story. When all is said and done, Krista Tippett, host of the popular public radio program Speaking of Faith, says, none of us will be measured by how much we accomplish, but by how well we love. Love God with everything in you, your whole being, and love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Treat your neighbor as you want to be treated, and you will live fully, completely, authentically, joyfully. Canadian theologian Douglas John Hall says, the story is really the essence of Christianity. That if you were to to be asked by somebody, well, what's religion all about? What's Christianity all about? And people are questioning religion, questioning Christianity, wondering what the main aspect of Christianity is. Well, you can tell them the story about the Good Samaritan. We can't go wrong if we tell this story. After all, it's one of the stories that Jesus taught us. Maybe the Levite and the priest, and this is what really bothers us, if we're honest. Maybe they're typical of many of the occasions in our own lives when we're just not bad people, but just preoccupied, just busy, don't want to get involved. I might pass by people in need, not because I'm not a good person, but because I'm not a thoughtful person, I'm not a caring person. I'm not a loving person. Who is my neighbor is still a question we've got to ask each other and ourselves. In Jesus' story, a neighbor is anyone who needs me. Anybody in big trouble, anyone lying in the ditch beside the road. But neighbor also means every person you perhaps have reason not to like at all. Your neighbor is a human being who needs you. Your neighbor could be a member of your family It could be your child, your partner, your friend, your workmate. It could be a complete stranger. To be a a good neighbor is to be kind, be merciful, to be caring, to get out of our own situation and begin to think of the needs of others. Perhaps Mr. Rogers might ask us this morning, will not you be my neighbor? Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, your stories are so compelling because they're so straightforward and yet they're so challenging. And we need your grace to live them out in the times in which we live. Enable us to do so for the sake of your name, amen. Our closing hymn of promise is number 278, reminding us of our spiritual journey we are travelers on a journey. with me please. Eternal God, gracious God,
0: merciful God, we come to you today with joyful thanks for the myriad blessings of our lives. We ask that you lead us to assist our neighbors, both known and unknown, in their need. We offer today a small return on these many blessings from you May we shed blessings on others. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Where we bring these tithes and offerings into your house. We present them to you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless them, that you would multiply them, that it may be used for your kingdom's work here in this community and beyond. In your name I pray. Amen. Can we sit for just a moment, please? Welcome to those uh, that are our guests today, and uh, there are several that are here with us, so we're glad that you're here and being able to worship with us. We invite all to linger long enough to uh, share in the reception there in the Narthex, some lemonade and cookies that will be there for those. So we'll get to talk to you a little bit more. Maybe some of you who are here regularly will be able to catch up on things with you as well. Two important things to remind you of tonight is Jazz Vespers, our quarterly Jazz Vespers down in Drennan Hall. And it will, uh, Cheryl's not here to say it will be grand, but it will be. Uh, she has two guests. Her sister's actually come up from Florida and will be playing uh, as well as Cheryl and as far as the, uh, the Jazz Vespers worship, go, uh, worship goes, so you'll want to be here for that. But uh, also, just a, a note to help you navigate when you get here. If you come tonight, come close as close to 6 as you can. Iron City Church will be worshiping at 4 o'clock, and the parking lots are full at 4. They finish about five twenty. 525, and began to leave. If you come any time between 540 and 6 o'clock, you shouldn't have any trouble parking. Just go ahead and park as you normally would. But don't be disturbed and get here and see a lot, of parking, a lot of cars and say, well, you know, I don't think I can make it tonight. We have had people to give up in certain cases like that and go back home, but we don't want you to do that. Uh, just know that there'll be someone here and we'll be able to give you some directions of a place to park if it is a problem. And then uh, also on Wednesday, we'll have a a Thanksgiving-themed Wednesday night since this will be the last time that we'll meet for Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and you come and be a part of that as well. I want to make one announcement before related to our membership. One of our members, Brent Thompson, was in a a serious automobile accident on Friday evening, and he's uh, suffered several um, broken bones and uh, just in a lot of pain right now, and he asked for our prayers. He is not receiving any guests right now at the hospital, he's at UAB, but hopefully he will be um, back up and, and able to um, get back to his duties, hopefully uh, be praying for him, he has two, the twins of course are, are his and Lindsay's and, and she is teaching school, I know it will th- be a very big burden for them to, to provide care, so be praying for them uh, in, this, in this time as we go, we we go with uh, a sense of purpose to be a neighbor wherever we go. And may we do that with with the knowledge that Christ does go before us.
1: May the love of God fill our hearts and enable us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Amen. Amen.